0: what a beautiful song beautiful song amen open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5 Ephesians chapter 5 today uh, we continue our series on the theology of the family by examining the priorities of uh, the wife Uh, so this is I think part 4 or part 5 of the theology of the family and uh, my prayer is that God would use this study uh, to grow us, as the uh, hymn we just sung uh, said, into a family that has godly fathers and mothers, where there's great joy in serving one another, where there's love that the enemy cannot sever. Amen? So Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to read verse 22 verse through verse 24. Hear the word of the Lord. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much, Lord, again, that we can come to your word, that you have given it to us in our native language. Now, Lord, as we dive into more of having godly marriages, I pray that you would be glorified and that your word would build us in the faith, and Father, that the words that I speak would be the words that you have spoken today. We pray, build godly fathers, godly mothers, godly marriages, godly families, so that we could be light in the world, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the Bible is full of scriptures that speak of the blessing of a godly wife and her great value. An excellent wife who can find, for her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. And obtains favor from the Lord. House and wealth are an inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. An excellent wife is a crown to her husband, but she who shames him is like rottenness in his bones. The Bible also likewise shares truths about living with an ungodly, contentious, and rebellious wife. It is better to live in the corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman, Proverbs 24, 24. It is better to live in a desert land than with a contentious and vexing woman, Proverbs 21:19. A constant dripping on a day of steady rain and a contentious woman are alike. He who would restrain her restrains the wind and grasps oil with his right hand. Proverbs 27, 15 to 16. You know, it's often said, if mama's not happy, nobody's happy, right? While there's some truth to that, I think that statement could only represent sometimes a superficial or a temporary happiness. The more accurate statement would be something like this. If mama is content with and joyfully walking in submission to Christ by fulfilling her spiritual duties in marriage... While the husband sacrificially loves her wife, as Christ loves the church, everyone is happy. Martin Luther said of marriage, quote, There's no more lovely, friendly, and charming relationship, communion, or company than a good marriage. And what Martin Luther meant by a good marriage is a marriage that's founded upon the rock. Amen? Our marriages only become lovely, charming, flourishing as we grow in our roles in our marriage according to the word of God. So last week I preached on the theology of marriage and sort of gave a, a high overview of what the Bible teaches about marriage. And in this week and then in subsequent weeks we're going to dive into the roles and duties of Uh, of the husband and of the wife. And my encouragement to you is that you listen to much of what the Word of God says and the message has to do with your role. Uh, Take copious notes and listen lightly to the messages about the duties of your spouse. Why do I say that? You have enough to focus on in terms of fulfilling your own role than to worry about what he or she is doing or not doing in her role. So focus on what God has in store for your role. Amen. And I want to give you a reminder, part of the reason, and one of the main reasons why um, we paused our teaching from the Sermon on the Mount to go into the theology of of the family, uh, is that Satan is seeking to destroy families. He's uh, seeking to destroy uh, the institution of marriages of marriage. And he's seeking to destroy marriages. He wants to destroy the institution, but he's also seeking to devour and destroy marriages. Brothers and sisters, if you are believers and you are seeking to walk with Christ, you must be warned and you must know that Satan, your adversary, is seeking to destroy your marriage. He would love nothing better than to see your marriage fall apart, and be destroyed for the sake of his kingdom. You must be on guard, be warned. And so this, this message and these messages are so that we can take heed lest we fall. Because marriages that destruct don't happen overnight. It's a slow process to build a godly marriage, and it's a slow process for a marriage to be destroyed And he has bent the enemy on destroying your marriage. So as we lay out the husband and wife duties, I first want to build upon the foundation of marriage, which I laid out last time a bit, but just as a reminder, marriage is a monogamous, holy relationship between one man and one woman. The husband and the wife are both image bearers of God. When they come together, they become one flesh. And as Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 7, that they are co-heirs together with Christ. Not only are they one flesh, husband, wife, they're also brothers and sisters in Christ. So their spiritual standing, the husband and the wife, have the same spiritual standing before God in Christ, Galatians 3 28. At the same time, God has also blessed mankind with distinct roles within marriages. Husband is the head and wife is the helpmeet. The woman, the Bible says, was made for man. And that's fallen out of popularity these days, has it not? The effects of secular humanism and the effects of feminism has not only, uh, not only twisted our culture's view of marriage and our culture's view of Headship within the marriage, but it's also affected the church. You have so many churches, not just liberal, apostate churches, but you have many so-called evangelical uh, churches that don't teach the great truths of the Bible that God has declared in His Word when it comes to uh, man and a woman, uh, same spiritual standing, yet God gives each distinct roles. Okay? And many, many messages on this uh, tend to be something like this: uh, forty-five minutes of qualifications and sort of dancing around the topic of roles within the marriage, and then just a small snippet of what the husband's role is and what the wife's role is. Not much mention of God giving the the headship role to the husband and God giving the helpmeet role to the wife. Okay. But if you know me you know i don't mince words so i'm going to preach the word of god as it's declared within the bible today so i'm going to cover the wife's duty within marriage it's important that we're always reforming in this area we cannot underestimate the effects that the culture has upon our beliefs when it comes to everything so we cannot underestimate that that there is some effect right now that you have when it comes to marriage And that effect is from the culture pressing in on this idea of blurring the gender lines, that that there's no gender lines whatsoever. Uh, So we have to fight against that, and we do it with the Word of God. So today I'm going to give you the wife's duty that God declares within marriage, and I want to give you the what, the why, and the how. The what, the why, and the how what the wife's duty is, what her priorities are in marriage, why God gives these, and how to do them. Okay? So I want to show you the three duties uh, that I see God gives wives within the covenant of marriage. The wife is commanded by Scripture to give her husband her love, her submission, and her respect. Those are the three things. Love, love, submission, and respect. So first thing, the wife is to love her husband. A wife is to love her husband. Now, this is often a duty that's overlooked Uh, within many teachings on the wife's role. Generally, it's focused on a wife's submission, and we're going to get to that, Uh, but God also requires wives not only to love their husband, but to give of their love to their husband. There's something about a woman's love that is distinct. There's something about a woman giving up and giving her love to another, and it's something that is very special that God requires wives to give to their husbands. In Titus 2, uh, starting in verse 3, the older women are commanded uh, to teach the younger, and it says that, They should encourage the young women in verse 4 to love their husbands. That's listed first. To love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God would be not dishonored. So we see here the first thing listed is that the older women are to teach the younger women to love their husbands. We see this great example In the Song of Solomon, of a woman giving up her love to her husband. and I want to read just a a few portions there. So, turn there, if you would, to Song of Solomon, chapter 1. Song of Solomon is after Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Song of Solomon, chapter 1. The woman starts off speaking. And look what, right off the top, in verse 2, she said, "...may he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth." Verse 7 says, tell me, o, who, o you whom my soul loves. Now, she's speaking uh, to her future husband, and she says, tell me, O whom my soul loves. She had a love within, deep within her soul for her lover. Where do you pasture your flock? Where She wanted to know everything about him. Okay, so where of whom my soul loves. Listen to how she speaks to him in chapter 5 starting at verse 10. She says, my beloved is dazzling and ruddy, outstanding among 10,000. His head is like gold, pure gold. His locks are like clusters of dates, black as raven. His eyes are like doves beside streams of water, bathed in milk, reposed in their setting. His cheeks are like a bed of balsam, banks of sweet-scented herbs. His lips are lilies dripping with liquid myrrh. His hands are rods of gold set with beryl. His abdomen is carved ivory inland with sapphires. His legs are pillars of alabaster set on pedestals of pure gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as the cedars. His mouth is full of sweetness. And look what it says in verse 16. And he is wholly desirable. This is my beloved. This is is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Do you see how the wife is, is talking about the one whom her soul delights in, her soul loves, and she cannot do anything but speak these great things about him, and he is wholly desirable to her. Now look at chapter 7, and you can read this whole book and get, at, get this, but Song of Solomon 7, starting at verse 10. She says, I am my beloved's, and his desire is for me. Then he invites to consummate their love, to go together to consummate their love. So the the point is, do you see how she gives her love to him, both mentally, emotionally, and physically? This is the great love that a wife ought to give to her husband. In Proverbs chapter 5 uh, verse eight. Excuse me, 18. Uh, the chapter of Proverbs five, Solomon is warning his son to, to don't go towards the adulterous woman. And in verse 18, he's telling him to, to drink water from your own cistern don't go out and look for other uh, women to, to get pleasure from uh, get pleasure from your own wife." He says, "And then in verse 18, he says, "Let your fountains be blessed." And rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated with her love. Now you may think, well, that's a passage for men, right? No, it's actually a passage for men and women because look at what the text says in verse 19. It says, Be exhilarated with what? with her love. Ladies, this presupposes that there's love being drawn towards the husband for him to be exhilarated with. If there's no love being given to him, how can he be exhilarated with it? And that word in the Hebrew, to be exhilarated, literally means to be intoxicated, almost like you're on high. And and so the, the command of the husband is with the love that your wife gives to you, Find pleasure, not only find pleasure, but be exhilarated with it and be intoxicated with it, almost as if you're drunk with her love. That's the command given to the husband. So, ladies, sisters, are you giving your husband this type of love that he can be exhilarated with and intoxicated with? Dear sister, love your husband. Love him in such a way where he feels exhilarated by your love love him in the way you speak to him love him in the way you speak about him love him in the way you look at him love him physically love him emotionally give yourself wholly to your husband open up your heart to your husband do not close it off it's easy as years go by in marriage uh, ladies, to, to close off your heart and grow cold to your husband, but you are not only encouraged, you are commanded in Scripture to open up your heart to him and do not close it off. Uh, Luther again once said, quote, Let the wife make the husband glad to come home, and let him make her sorry to leave him. Catch that? Your love should be such uh, such a love for your husband so exhilarating that he is saddened when he goes to work or when he has to go away, and vice versa. He also said, quote, the Christian is supposed to love his neighbor, and since his wife is his nearest neighbor, she should be his deepest love. Well, same goes with the wife. Since your closest neighbor is your husband, ladies, your husband should be your deepest love. Love him in such a way, dear sister, that he dreads leaving for work. And love him in such a way, dear sister, that he can't wait to come home from work. By loving him, you not only honor Christ, but you are depositing love currency that I guarantee will pay you back exponentially. Amen. So, the first duty, the first what, is that wives are to give of their love to their husbands next the wife is to give up her submission to her husband so the wife is to give her love and her wife is to give her submission as well now let's go back to our text that we started at Ephesians five twenty-two. it says wives be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord now if you look in your Bible where it says be subject, it might be italicized because that's not in the original text. It's actually borrowed from verse 21, where it says be subject to one another in fear of Christ, which is the overarching passage for the rest of the chapter and into chapter 6. So be subject to one another. So wives, to your husbands is what he's saying, okay? Uh, Lest anyone say, see, it's not in the text, Mark, it's not in the text. Well, it is in the text in about three or four other places, Okay, in Colossians 3.18, Paul says, be subject to your own husband. Titus 2.5, the older to teach the younger to be subject to their own husband. And then in 1 Peter 3.1, again, Peter says to be submissive to your husband. So what does that mean? The word submission that is used in all of these texts is hupotasso in the Greek. It means to subordinate yourself. It means to be under obedience of another, to be put under or to subdue yourself or to make subject yourself to another. It literally means to submit or to subordinate. To submit yourself to your husband means that you rank yourself beneath, that you subordinate yourself and to be under his leadership. It's not to be forced into submission. Uh, husbands are never called or commanded to force their wives to be into submission. The word is actually telling the wife to submit yourself unto. It's a voluntarily, submit, it's a volunti- it's a voluntarily submission, okay? That you are to submit yourself to, not be submitted. Does that make sense? Now, in the text, in Titus 2.5 and 1 Peter 3.1, there's a word that's added between submit and husband where it says to submit to your own husband, to submit to your own husband. Now, this tells us two things. First, it reflects ownership. Remember what I said at the beginning. There's no distinction in our spiritual standing before God. Uh, wives, husband are all in Christ are all the same in Christ, yet God gives roles for the husband and roles for the wife, okay? But there's an ownership. That means, ladies, your husband is yours. As it says in Song of Solomon, I am his, and he is mine. And as Paul said to the husband that your body is not your own, but it's your wife's, and vice versa. So that tells us one thing. Number two, when it says submit to your own husband, is that you are to submit to your own husband, not someone else's husband. And you're required to submit to one man, and that is your husband, not to all men everywhere, to one man, your husband. You know, we live in a world where women are applauded and celebrated when they are excelling in submitting to other men other than their husband i.e. the workplace. Women who will work 40 to 60 hours per week in the home, climbing the corporate ladder, submitting to another woman's husband, and they're celebrated, they're commended. However, let that same smart, hardworking, and beautiful woman submit to her husband, manage the home, work from home, school her kids, and it's marked by the world as oppressive, slavish, and downright cruel. This disdain upon biblical womanhood starts early in young ladies. Now, you know what I mean by, if you've been in the workplace long enough, you see the submission that happens. It's, it's natural, you have a manager, you're to submit to that manager and you are to do the things that pleases him or her, okay? You want that done? I do it, right? But you take that same type of submission and take it in the home place, and now it's all of a sudden, it's slavish. It's cruel. And we see this disdain very young with young ladies. What are young ladies constantly asked when they're growing up? So what do you want to do when you grow up? Okay? God forbid they say, well, I want to get married. I want to submit to my husband have kids, be his help stay home, raise godly seed for the next generation, do the things that most of our culture is not doing and maybe save our country. I don't know, you know. Uh, the reaction usually is something like this. Well, well, yeah, but what do you want to do? They're assuming that staying home, managing the home, submitting to their husband, putting in the long hours, hard work, And the demands and the blessing that that role entails is somewhat of a secondary thing, right? It should be primary. And that type of mentality is demeaning to biblical womanhood. It's demeaning to the Word of God. And it's demeaning to God's design of the family. Now, when the text says, to submit to your own husband's, again you're to submit to one person one man and that's the man that you choose or have chosen to be married with so wives are required to submit themselves to their husband now what extent are wives to submit what is the extent that wives are to submit well let's look at our text verse 24 but as the church is to su- uh, subject sorry but as the church is subject to Christ so also the wives ought to be to their own husbands in everything. I can't get around that text. That word in the Greek is all, pause, it means all. So here, wives are implored as the church is subject to Christ. So wives ought to be that same type of subjection, that same type of submission uh, Submission in Everything now. Let me tell you what that doesn't mean. It does mean all, but we have to understand that there are there are limitations in every uh, sphere of authority that God gives. Uh, This is a general extent, uh, but it's not to be confused that there are no limitations. We even see that Paul adds as to the Lord in the beginning of the text in verse twenty-two in Colossians three eighteen. It says, "Wives, submit to your husbands." In the Lord. Just as in the command for children to obey their parents in Colossians, it says, uh, obey your parents in all things, right? But then in Ephesians, it says, obey your parents in the Lord. So there are limitations there. As with children, children are not to obey their parents when their parents give them a, a command to sin, right? But the text says all things. All right. So I want you to understand that the extent that Paul gives in verse 24 to be submissive to their husbands in everything is a general extent, but we have to know there are limitations. Wives are not commanded to submit to their husbands' sinful ways. Wives are not commanded to submit uh, to her own physical danger or abusive situations. That is not biblical submission and it ought to be rejected. So there are limitations, and these limitations are supposed in the text. But outside those limitations, ladies and gentlemen, the text is clear. Uh, All things, that wives are to be submissive to their husband, you could say it like this, in all lawful things, meaning all biblical lawful things. In what manner? Our wives to submit to their husbands we see we see the what uh, we see what the extent is and then now what is the manner what does that look like uh, in the day today well first if you look at verse 22 it says wives are to be subject to their own husbands as to the Lord as to and what does that mean well this is an adverb which means even as or like okay Paul is saying Wives must submit to their own husbands, even as or like they submit to the Lord. So, sisters, listen to me here. Your submission to your husband, or lack thereof, reflects your submission to Christ. You prove your submission to Christ by your submission to your husband. When you do submit to your husband in a God-honoring way, you are submitting to Christ and vice versa. More specifically, the manner in which a wife is to submit to her husband is given in verse 24. Let's look at it again. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. A wife's submission is to mirror the church's submission to Christ. So simply ask yourself, How ought the church to submit to Christ? Now, I will grant you, there is a big difference in submitting to a perfect and holy God versus a fallible and sometimes weird-smelling man. Okay? I I grant you that. But nonetheless, this is the manner in which God gives. So how does the church submit to Christ? Here are some ways. Uh, The church acknowledges Christ as their head as their leader, as their superior. They, the church reveres Christ both inwardly in the heart and outwardly through their actions. The church speaks well to him and speaks well about him. There is a general disposition that the church ought to have to please Christ in all that they do. Uh, the church is to obey his commands and to avoid what he forbids. The church is to follow the head of the church, follow his lead. This is how a woman ought to submit to her husband, not in a way that worships him. Are, wives aren't to worship their husband as the church worships Christ, but the way that the church submits to Christ is the way a woman ought to submit to her husband. And this is not far-fetched, ladies and gentlemen. You might think, wow, that's, that's, that's a little extreme, Mark, but we see this modeled every single day in the workplace. I'll give you an example. You know, I worked in corporate banking for a number of years, and when I used to work for the bank, I would report to a manager. I went back and counted. I had eight managers in my career. Some were great. Some were awful. But the idea is that I was to subordinate myself to that manager. And if I wanted to be a good employee, I would need to seek to do all things that pleased them. When working on the projects, I would think, how would they want this done? What would make them look good? What would bring glory to them? Now, does this mean I was any less than to the company? By all means, no. I was not any less to the company, but they understood the need to have roles and to have order. The military gets this, uh, maybe used to, but the military gets this, And this does not mean an employee or a wife, for that matter, should not offer her opinion or suggestion or even object to the direction of the one of a higher rank. But this can still be done with all reverence and with all honor and still remaining submissive to the one that they're submitted to. However, the one who is in subordination doesn't just tell the leader what we're going to do. Can you imagine for a minute? Now, I at some point in my career, I reported to some high-level executive-type people. Can you imagine every conversation I would say, no, we need to do this? No, I like it this way. No, I would rather if we did this. How long would I have lasted at the bank? Okay. Now, I understand that marriage is very different, but the, the, the submission there is still uh, the same. Okay. So when a wife tells her husband what to do, not letting him lead in areas that aren't sinful, obviously, you put him in a lose-lose situation. If he constantly obeys, then who's really leading the home? If he doesn't do what you tell him to do, then conflict is bound to arise. So you put him in a lose-lose situation. Okay, again, this does not mean that wives are just to, to be quiet and not offer suggestions or object to the direction of, of the husband at all, okay? Uh, but the difference is, you know, again, I, I look back at, at how in the workplace you submit to a manager. The difference is, okay, is you offer a suggestion or an objection like, yeah, yes, absolutely, can I offer a suggestion? What if we did this? The difference is, is that when the one who's leading says, Thank you, but I think we're going to go that direction. Being submissive means, yes, sir, um, workplace, right? Yes, absolutely, going to do it, okay? So wives are free to offer their subjections, uh, but the kicker is, ladies, are you submitted to the answer being no? Or will you persist or even manipulate until you get your way? Does your husband know that if he does not take your suggestion, that you're only going to murmur and complain until he gives in and goes your way? And if you do go along with his decision and it fails, how is your, what is your response? Do you give him your I told you so look or even say I told you so? Ladies, I know this is hard, but that is not Submission. That is not submission. Instead, if it's not a sinful thing, let your husband lead. Because guess what? At the end of the day, the burden's on him. He stands before God for the well-being of his family. The burden is on him. So if it fails, it's on your husband, okay? That should give you some freedom that should make you feel free, right? If you struggle with this, maybe for a season, you keep your suggestions to yourself and let your husband fail for a little bit. And then maybe he'll wise up and start asking you for your wisdom. When a wife gives her submission to her husband, she seeks to please her husband. She seeks to help him where possible, to support him and to be his helpmeet and most importantly, she brings glory to God. So ladies, you're not submitting to your husband because he's such a great person. Uh, I'm, we're not, okay? You're not submitting to your husband because he's so perfect and great and is such, a, such an esteemed person. No, you're submitting to your husband because you're honoring and submitting to Christ. And the Bible says, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And... I think one of the things I think struggles within marriages is, is the idea of, I'll get to that in a minute, let's, let's way. So next, the wife is to respect her husband. That's the third thing, okay? So the what is to give her love, her submission, and to her respect. If you jump over to verse 33 of Ephesians 5, it says, Nevertheless, each individual among you is to love his wife as himself, but the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So this is a different word that's used uh, in the Greek. So respect means uh, to revere. It can mean to fear, although I don't think it's used in here that context, but to revere, to be uh, exceedingly reverent to. Okay? It means to treat with admiration, with high esteem, or it can also mean to treat with reverential obedience. So this is the wife's duty, to offer her respect, to revere. You saw that in Song of Solomon, the way that she spoke to him, the way she spoke about him. You can see that she gave her respect to her husband. So this is the what? This is the wife's duty, to obey Christ by offering herself wholly to her husband, by giving of her love, her submission, and her respect. So the why? Why ought a wife offer these things? Well, first, you're commanded to. That should be enough reasons for us, right? But here in the text, when it comes to submission, God gives us the reason. Look at verse 23. After the command to be subject to your own husbands, verse 23 says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also head of the church. So the word there in the Greek, for, literally means because because of, or since, it actually is giving us the reason very clearly. So these are one of the reasons why a wife ought to submit to her husband. And this is why Paul says in Colossians 3.18, Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. So here it says, be subject to your husbands because, or since, the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. That's the reason. And that's why Paul says it's fitting. Ladies, it, it's proper. It doesn't mean you're any less than. You're the crown of creation. You understand that. You make things so beautiful and lovely. okay? But this is the reason because God made the husband the head of the wife and made Christ as Christ is the head of the church. Second reason, why, is to provide a visual picture of the union between Christ and his church. We see that in verse 24. As the church is subject to Christ, wives are to their husbands. So, wives, when you're giving of your love and your submission and your respect to your husband, you are giving a visual picture to the world of the gospel. You're giving a visual picture to the world of the union between Christ and his church. Next, uh, another reason is to win over husbands who are disobedient. 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6 says, in the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands so that, there's that, Word in the Greek, because, since, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. So this text can be referring to an unbelieving husband, but also to a believing husband who may be wayward in his actions, his thinking, or his leading, or lack thereof. It says to be submissive to your own husbands so that if any of them are disobedient to the word, then you can win them over by your behavior. Now, when it comes to a wife's submission, there's generally two responses, okay? Two problems arise when this command is impressed upon Christian women. I want to address those. You either get one or two responses. Either ladies completely rebel against it. And seek to rationalize the command away, either by their own pragmatic thinking or by the twisting of Scripture. It goes something like this. Yeah, I just don't think that's fair, and, and I, I'm not going to do it. I, I, why do I have to be the one to submit? Okay, that's just totally rebelling. Or, yeah, you know, okay, but if he doesn't do such and such, or if he's not such and such, then I'm, I'm not going to submit. Again, we're not talking about sinful things. Okay? Set, set those aside. Alright, women are never commanded to sin, uh, to submit in sinful or abusive situations. Okay? Or, yeah, but the Bible says we're all equal in Christ. How many times have you heard that? We're all one in Christ, so I don't have to submit. The other response is generally, and what I think most hear, is that wives really do seek and want to honor Christ. They want to offer their submission in the way God commands, but constantly fails. And fights the flesh daily, and I believe that's probably most of you here today. There seems to be something inside of the ladies that kicks against this. That's almost almost feels natural just to fight against the idea of offering your submission to your husband. The root of this issue is the same, whether uh, there's complete rebellion against it or just the constant fighting of the flesh. And the root of the issue is in Genesis chapter 3. Turn there quickly with me. The sin struggle for you to be subject to your husband, if you didn't know, is actually part of the curse. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth, in pain you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. So where God says to the woman here, your desire will be for your husband, that doesn't mean a desire in a good way. I want you to understand. That was there before the fall. Okay, They were perfect. They were sinless. It wasn't that, oh, you're going to just love your husband. That word desire in the Hebrew uh, literally means to overtake. The word is used in the very next chapter, where God warns Cain that sin is crouching at the door, yet it desires to have you. Same word in the Hebrew. The word means to take over, to take control. So you have to understand that part of the sin curse on the woman is that she would seek to usurp her husband's role. The fall of mankind brought a distortion of the wife's proper submission and also a distortion of the man's proper headship. We'll get to that next time. It says he will rule over you, not in a good leading headship way, but he would seek to lord it over, and that's the the flesh draw for the husband. So how do you counteract that? How you battle your flesh against that? That seems to be averse to the very task that God would have you to do. By some practical measures, you must be filled with the Spirit of God. And that is actually the theme of where this is in the book of Ephesians. In chapter 5, just before the text in verse 18, he says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit's. If you study the text, that's actually like the overarching theme for the rest of the chapter and into chapter 6, is to be filled with the Spirit of God. And those who are filled with the Spirit of God can then fulfill their duties within the family. Spirit-filled wives subject themselves, or are submissive to their husband. Spirit-filled husbands lead and love their wives. Spirit-filled children obey their parents. And to be filled with the Spirit of God means to be filled with His Holy Word. So you want to battle against the flesh that that seeks to to fight uh, submission to your husband. Be filled with the Word of God. Next, look unto Jesus as your example. Jesus, who was fully God, fully man, submitted Himself to His parents when He was a child Luke 251 Then, as a grown man, he submitted himself to the Father. The second person of the Trinity wholly submitted himself to the Father. There are many texts where he came and he said that he did not to do his own will, but him who sent me. He submitted his will to the Fathers, not my will, but thy will be done. Was Jesus the second person of the Trinity? Any less equal than God the Father? No. They were equal in essence, but they had distinct roles. And Jesus submitted himself to the Father. This provides us an example in how we are to submit to authorities whom God has placed in our lives. We're all under authority. We are all to submit to different authorities. 1 Peter chapter 3 provides a deeper insight into how a wife is to give her submission to her husband, and that's where we're going to end tonight. Turn there with me. 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll start at verse 1. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, They may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, the former times, in former times, the holy women also, Who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right, without being frightened by fear. Here we see an example of holy women in former times, it says, such as Sarah. In verse 5, it says, in this way, these holy women used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their husbands, well, in what way? Well, it says in verse 2, by being chaste, by being respectful, and that they were adorned with the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable quality, it says, of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. A loud, argumentative, boisterous woman is not portrayed in a positive light in the Bible, Proverbs 7.11 and 9, 13. So it was in this way Peter speaks of godly women in former times who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands. And he gives a specific example in Sarah. It says, as Sarah called him Lord. Now that's, that's lowercase l. That doesn't mean she worshipped him, but revered him and respect him and honored him and placed herself in. In submission to Abraham. As we are all sons of Abraham through faith, ladies, you become Sarah's children when you do what is right. Now, it says at the end of the verse six, it says, Doing what is right without being frightened by fear. Now, where does that come from? Well, if you're honest with yourself, ladies, there's a fear you struggle with. That if you submit the way God requires, your husband might take advantage of that. Or maybe it might lead into a situation where you are in fact being suppressed, oppressed, or even abused. Well, there's two ways I want to answer that. First, if your husband is saved, you can see the sanctification in his life. Trust God and trust the Holy Spirit to work in his life that as you wholly submit to your husband, God will work in his life to love you as Christ has loved the church. Second, your husband, ladies, is required to submit to the authority of the local church. Myself and other godly men here will hold your, wife, your husband accountable. If your husband is in open and unrepented sin you, as a sister in Christ, must approach him. And if it's a scenario where you fear approaching him in his sin, then you are to come to the elders of the church. Husbands, here it's vital for you to submit to the local church. We use church membership to do so. You are not an island, and listen to me, men. You put your husbands Well-being at risk. You put her heart at risk by not submitting yourself to the local church. Who else does your wife have to go to if she can't go to the local church? Don't think that, men, don't think that you're so holy that you can't fall into sin where you don't need godly men and a local church to hold you accountable to protect and cherish your wife husbands you model submission for your wife you're required to submit to your employer you're required to submit to the local church and you model that for your wife so sisters you need not fear as it says in the text uh, in first peter chapter three without being frightened by for you have nothing to fear trust god so in conclusion dear sisters i want to ask you What's holding you back from giving yourself wholly to your husband? What's holding you back on opening your heart and giving your husband your full love? What's holding you back from giving your husband your submission and your respect? Is it fear? Is it pride, maybe? Take it to Christ. I want to encourage you. Repent where needed and walk by faith. And brothers, we'll tackle your role next time. But for now, I want to ask you, are you making it easier or harder for your wife to fulfill her duties? She is responsible and cannot use your activity as an excuse. But at the same time, if you love your wife, you'll make it easy for her to fulfill her duties within the marriage. Let us all together come to the throne of grace and seek help in this area because we are in much needed of God's grace. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much, Lord, for your word. We thank you, God, that you have given us us your word, Father, to build us up, to, to encourage us to press on, to sanctify our hearts. Lord, we pray that you would use this word, sow it deep in our hearts, Lord, we pray.